Welcome to the WTF Show podcast from Bangkok, Thailand, presented by Vimal Kogar. Tune in to get your dose of weekly verbal Red Bull. Welcome one and all to the WTF Show this week. We have celebrity chef Dipankar Kosla. DK, welcome to the show. Okay, DK, you are one of our most exciting guests so far. Tell us a little bit about how you started. Where you come from? I come from a small town in India called Allahabad in Uttar Pradesh, and that's where I was born and raised. And uh, I did all of my schooling there. Uh, went went to the St. Joseph's Public School, and then I did my culinary school around there in India itself. Before I moved to Thailand in 2014 to open the restaurant across the road here called Chakol, and I worked with them for a couple of years. When I decided that it was time to fly on my own, and I started a food truck, and I that was the first 100% green food truck, sustainably driven, sustainably cooking, and I drove across Southeast Asia, and that I did Thailand. Laos and Cambodia, and at the end of that journey, that was a year long. I came back and I started Haoma, and rest is history. Okay, so let's move backward a little bit. Yeah, tell us about your training. How did you become a chef? Uh, from the part of India I come from, uh, being a chef is not a profession. Okay. It's uh, something that you do for a hobby. So when my grandparents found out that I was going to hotel school, there was a mass mad sense of uh, disappointment uh, in the air in the house. However, my mom, the revolutionary that she is, uh, she pushed me to do that. Uh, we come from a background where you either go to the army or you either become an engineer, and or you the third thing you could do is do become a scientist, and that's what my brother is. My brother is a scientist with Marlboro in uh, in Switzerland, and. Uh, uh, just the food in the house that was being cooked was of a of a different level altogether. I come from the epicenter of the Avadi cuisine. Lucknow, Allahabad were the centers of where Akbar and all the Nawabs were located. The Mughal Empire was prospering in that area, and once the Mughal Empire decimated, they left behind these hordes. Like a uh, uh, Mughal emperor would have over five hundred cooks in his royal kitchens. So when Akbar retreated from Allahabad. Uh, he left behind all, most of those people, and they started these small shops. So my childhood was eating in these small shops and actually eating food, which is now the legend that is cooked across the globe, known as whatever you know of Indian food. Any kind of curry or any kind of kebab or these leavened breads that you eat today all originated in the area I was born in. So that had a very severe impact on the cooking in our households. What I grew up. With. Uh, trust me, my grandmoms and mums' food was not the average home cooked food. Like I don't, I don't really remember as a child pushing the plate away. You know when? Uh, I believe you. When uh, when your friends tell you uh, that food, the food at home used to be, uh, it used to be a torture eating that stuff. I I, I think otherwise. I think that was uh, a very defining moment of where I decided that this could be something that I could pursue because uh, even today when me and my brother go back home in Allahabad. Uh, we uh, open the casseroles of the sabzis and the rotis on the table, and we just smell them. That smell of love, that smell of passion, that smell of uh, empathy that your your mum and your grandmother cook with. Uh, I think that's what drove me to be who I am today, to be the chef I am and the food I'm cooking. 
Okay, so I'm going to ask you maybe a question that you didn't expect. Right. Your ratatouille dish. So yes. the the French have this dish called the ratatouille, which yes. the peasants eat and the poor people eat. That's right. So you tell me what was your ratatouille dish growing up? In my ratatouille dish, just like what the peasants in in Europe were eating, the peasants in India were eating the biryani. And I very recently uh, did uh, did an entire show on CNN International on the biryani that comes from my hometown, and uh, that was actually my dish. So we live in Allahabad, which translated means Allahabad, a city that has been instilled by Allah Himself. So the Muslim kids. Zine is strong in our area, strong to a level where you could know when the biryani shop has already started serving. <laughs> yeah, the 5:30 p.m. azan would happen. You could hear the you could hear the loudspeakers from the from the from the masjids going on, and at that moment you knew that in 10 minutes you'd have the freshest biryani on the streets of Allahabad. Wow. And we would go out there and then eight rupees. That's four baht today. In uh, and I'm not talking about t- uh, 20 years ago. I'm talking about four five years from now when I was eating. the streets uh, whenever i go back home and uh, we'd know that the biryani was being served and and a rich man driving his s class and a poor rickshaw puller alike would stop at this shop called madina hotel and would buy biryani from there in the evening and that is what my ratatouille is and that is what led me to uh, cook make the biryani as the signature dish in home as well uh Again, I'm I'm going to be a little bit of a pain in the ass. Can no, you please. describe this biryani? What does it contain? How you eat it? Uh, the biryani that we uh, that comes from our region of Allahabad and Lucknow is called the Avadi biryani. Do you want me to get into the story? <laughs> the story is beautiful. Actually, please, I would please, love to tell the audience. Please about tell it. the story. Uh, there was uh, an emperor, he, Nawab. His name was Asfat Dutola. He was he was the second son of Shah Jahan who built the Taj Mahal, and he built the Imam Bara, the biggest mausoleum in. India and uh, there were 10,000 people from in and around of Allahabad and Lucknow who were working as laborers masons architects in in the construction sites and he decided that anybody who is working on building the his dream architecture his dream project should not go hungry and he ordered his chef to create a dish that would suffice everybody's hunger one meal a day that could cover everybody's nutrition that could satiate everybody's hunger so they took rice lots of basmati beautiful that grows in our region one of the best basmatis comes from the ganga jamuna dwab that's where the ganga and the yamuna meet on the banks of the city of allahabad and varanasi and he took he took the rice potatoes regular vegetables trimmings of chicken trimmings of lamb bones he dunked all of them in a big giant pot and that pot would cook for 24 is hours is that a curry or is like a, it's a handi it's, it's a, a handi. it's a full fledged handi it's a big enough for me and you to sit in together with okay. it's it's a huge handi so is that a clay handi is that how it no works? this is made with brass Okay. Traditionally, the cooking in uh, in uh, Avadi is happening in brass pots because of the reason that it adds an amount of zinc and copper to the food, which is great for your digestive system. Okay, there you go. And yeah, and uh, and uh, the the emperor was on a rounds checking the how how well the building was constructed. And this, as you know, as all of us Indians know, the biryani is cooked in a seal, and the seal popped open, and he got the whiff of this dish that was being cooked, and that was the birth of the dump. cooked biryani or the dum biryani as we know as the world famous biryani right. dum pukt means cook on slow flame dum and pukt means of on slow charcoal fire 
And that is how all of our food is cooked. And that's how the signature biryani at Haoma is cooked as well. Oh, my God. You've yes. made me hungry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I think I might need to take a food break right now. Uh, DK, tell me now about your uh, how you moved to Thailand. How I mean, how did this happen? Were you recruited? How did this work? Yeah, I was uh, working with the Luxury Collection Hotels in uh, Mumbai at that time. It was my fifth year with them. I started my career back in 2009 with them. 2014, I got a call from uh, uh, from a senior chef who was also from my culinary school, then the corporate chef of the Intercontinental Hotel, saying that uh, the Fraser Hotel in Bangkok was hiring and looking for a chef who could open them uh, a fast-paced, heartbeat-running Indian concept and uh, I came down to Bangkok I met the Sajday family and uh, cooked food for them and they enjoyed it and thus I gave them the idea and uh, the concept design of the food behind charcoal and I was the pre-opening executive chef I opened the restaurant for them and worked with them for around two years before I wanted to drive a truck for a living so you so at some point in your life you are earning a good wage in a restaurant, have a stable life, and you suddenly decide that you want to move, you want to leave this life of getting an executive pay of some sort. Yes. And you decide that instead of doing that, you want to buy a truck and drive it across Southeast Asia. Is that what, what ha- ex- exactly That's happened? That's exactly what happened. Okay, so what was the impetus? <laughs> the impetus, uh, Vimal, was... Uh at i was all of 25 when i did that uh, uh full of impulse full of blood in my heart and energy in my veins i was uh i was looking for challenges and after two years of running a restaurant that does uh, 200 covers a night and you churn out the same thing in and out working for an owner uh, it started getting to me uh, money was not really what i was looking for i was looking for ingredients i was looking for experiences and i was looking for an adventure and uh, uh, t- even today uh, se- six years since i've quit my job and where i am today uh, there's two things that i do i either cook or either on the road uh, the last Saturday and Sunday my me and my wife we drove 900 kilometers around Thailand on my Ducati and that's what I do I'm, uh, the road brings energy to me it brings me ideas I'd like to believe that every single dish in the Haoma menu at the moment was con- was conceptualized while I was riding my motorbike and uh, that was the trigger of where I did that and also to get myself out of the comfort zone today I like to believe I'm living a life where I comfortably drive I have a Mercedes, I have a Ducati, I have a house I live in, and I have a, a restaurant, I have a health food service, I have a farm. However, uh, I'd still like to sleep one night in a week on the floor to get out of my comfort zone. Leaving my executive job was to get out of my comfort zone because making $5,000 at 24 years old, you really don't know where your future is going from there. And uh, I, the reason why I cut the that umbilical cord of comfort and is the reason I guess I am where I am today at the age of 30. There you go. So Thailand has some, I would like to name, if I may, yes. some great executive chefs and celebrity chefs in Thailand. Garima Arora. Yes. Uh, uh, Gagan Anand. Yes. And now you have come and, and there's a new one coming that's very famous. Uh, I think the restaurant is called Joe. Right. Right? Yes. And your cuisine is slightly different. You are sort of farm to table. Yes. So can you explain that, please? 
Absolutely. Uh, the idea uh, of Indian cuisine for me is what I have seen as I grew up. And that was entirely only seasonal farm-to-table food. Uh, Vimal, uh, growing up in Allahabad, uh, the food that was put onto our breakfast, lunch and dinner table was only decided after what was on the cart of the vegetable vendor who pulled it outside your house. Right, right. So this sudden need of Indian cuisine to become so westernized with this wagyu and Kobe beef and and Scottish lamb and truffles and uni is something that I walk away from. I would like to believe that Indian cuisine has 3,500. Okay, the first cuisine ever written about in the Harappan civilization was of Indian cuisine. Our Vedas, the Upanishads, and the Rig Veda, the Samved, and the uh, Atharved all have mentions of cuisine. So food is a very important part of our heritage. The, 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 the cuisine that I cook at Hauma, we call it Neo-Indian. Food of India, pre-colonization. How the food of India was... What today makes us go out and say, oh, we are Indian chefs and celebrity chefs and cooking at this world scale in Bangkok where three and two and one Michelin star chefs from across the globe are flocking at the moment. The food comes from your heritage, your culture and your roots. Forgetting that and moving ahead in a dimension which pleases diners because of how expensive the ingredient was that was put in your plate is something that we do not believe in at Hawama. And farm to table is not a gimmick there. It is how Indian food is cooked. If you go to India and you eat at a restaurant in a small town like ours, or you go to New Delhi and eat at a real restaurant that, like say Moti Mahal, uh, they change their menu with seasonality. Right. In the winters, there's black, there is carrots, so gajar halwa is available. In the summer, there is no carrots, so there's no gajar halwa available. Right. In the winters, there is shalgam, there is there's turnips, there's there's kohlrabi, so you get them on the menu. In the summer, when that fades away, you don't get them. So it's as simple as that. And when was I sitting in my hometown in Allahabad eating Jaipur lamb? Or when were, was I uh, eating beef that was flown down from Japan? So suddenly, how is my cuisine? I would like to believe that I am trying to protect the heritage of my cuisine rather than plagiarizing it by bringing in excessive amounts of chemicals, which now gastronomy has shaped into molecular, for example, and then ingredients that the nature does not allow us to use at that moment. What chefs are doing currently at large scale and just to address the issue of farm to table as you mentioned earlier if you want to go have a carrot on the menu in the month of June when there are no carrots growing they have to be flown in from Australia from Netherlands from these places correct so that adds to tremendous amounts of carbon footprint I would rather respect the nature respect the environment that I'm in and change the menu how, how hard is it to put two new dishes on the menu you know what I'm saying? So that is where at Hauma we very diligently work with the nature, not against the nature. Our farm, we have a five rye farm in Hong Kong, in, in near Chiang Mai. And the farmers that we work with, they tell us in advance, we have we, what I like to call it is a top a top-bottom approach instead of a bottom-top approach. I don't make the menus first. I have my cycle of vegetable growing first. I know, okay, I just changed the menu in December. On, on uh, Christmas, I launched the new menu in Hauma. The next new menu is going to come around Songkran. I already know what seeds have been will be sowed by between this period. Now we are already sowing so that the maturity comes in around mid-April. Uh, and that is what the menu is going to be. Oh, Diligence, 
for the respect of nature is how I like to call it. So can you describe to me a starter, a main and a dessert that sort of came from uh, inspirations that you've had from the past? Absolutely. Currently, we are doing a dish in uh, the first, like when you sit down at Haoma, the first thing that comes to your table is called disha. And uh, it's a disha in Sanskrit means directions. And uh, whenever we cook Indian food, we all, uh, I'd always been of this perception of traveled far and, uh, far and abroad. And whenever I go to Indian restaurants, there is one thing in common. They're either South Indian or North Indian restaurants. Why have we forgotten the East and the West? So my journey across India, my four favorite things. So when I finished college, as I was speaking about a little bit earlier about my love for the road, I took my TVS motorbike from Karnataka, where I was in college, and I drove all the way to my hometown. That's 3,200 kilometers. I did that journey in 30 days. And in that journey, I deviated from the quadrant to the left into Gujarat and then came back into the center into Madhya Pradesh, went into Bengal and then went back home. So I I took a, a Z journey home to be able to explore the cuisine, to be able to understand what our country is made of. And in this journey, my four favorite bites that I ate are the first four bites that you eat in the new menu right now. The first bite is uh, from the southern from southern part of India, a paniyaram. Paniyaram is uh, traditionally made with, yes, paniyaram, which is traditionally made with suji, or it's made with uh, uh, different elements of the southern Indian cuisine. I make it with local melons, for example. And then the second bite. So, so, so wait. Yes. It's a, it's a fried. It's a, it's a steamed. What is it exactly? Absolutely not. Uh, what we have done is that we've taken a paniyaram filling and we've uh, slow cooked that on uh, in uh, on uh, on on flame, and then we've actually encapsulated that inside a shell that is then uh, just frozen. So when you bite, it melts into your mouth. So what are yeah. the main ingredients in a paniyaram? Uh, traditionally, in a paniyaram, when you eat a southern paniyaram, you will get some suji in there, which is the heart and soul of it. We take that suji and. And we blend it with melons because that is something that I tried when I ate in Pondicherry. There you go, suji and melons. Yes, correct. Okay. <laughs> okay. Then we do a pomegranate uh, golgappa or a puchka from Kolkata. So you want to explain to our Western audience what is a golgappa? Uh, if you've been to India and you are exit- exiting India and immigration asks you, you had a golgappa, you say no, they send you back inside the country. <laughs> <laughs> Tell it's a whole it wheat puff that is stuffed with potatoes and different chutneys of mint and tamarind. And then we fill it with a water called jaljira, which is uh, made with the cumin and uh, roots of coriander. And it's a nice big puff you put in your mouth and it explodes. Yes. So we do one of those with pomegranate. Then we do a dhokla, which is uh, a fermented suji dhokla we do from uh, from uh, the west, from uh, uh, from uh, Gujarat, and then coming to north to my hometown. Sorry, sorry. Do you want to slow down? What's a dhokla yeah. again? Okay, so, yeah, sorry. So yeah, what sure, is sure. it made of? So dhokla is a fermented cake. So okay. dhokla is a fermented cake of Bengal gram dal, and uh, it is fermented with yogurt. And we also use some fruit acid in there, like eno, for example, right. to give it a nice flavor. And then we just steam it, uh, and it's flavored with curry leaves and with mustard seeds. Wow! Yes, and sounds delicious, right? And then we come to North, my hometown, and we do a kebab. And you know, the, they they say that a kebab is not a kebab if it doesn't melt into your mouth. So I do a galotti kebab, which is actually made of mushrooms, and uh, I serve it instead the the paratha that is served with the kebab. I turn that into a tartlet, so you can just pick it up and eat that 
as a galotti oh dart. my god yes. that sounds delicious <laughs> thank you i don't know if you have reservations available for today <laughs> tell me um in terms of uh the mission statement yes. so so now you've sort of gone past the search you've gone past the experimentation yes you now have your own business so you can decide your own menu yes and i want to tell the audience that hauma is getting the respect it deserves in thailand and so is dk dk is now celebrity chef dk <laughs> and uh so now you've uh, dk you've come past that stage where you need to prove to everyone that you're a excellent chef you don't need to prove to anyone anymore so now what is your mission what so so as i understand you were instrumental during the start of the pandemic in helping getting people fed on your street Yes. Tell me exactly the mission statement. Uh with the with the pandemic kicking in we started something called No One Hungry uh, where we've uh, served over 100,000 meals to people in need especially to the to the migrant workforce the Burmese were our target and also the low income economy uh, the low income uh, communities in Thailand like the Onnut Sipsi Rai or the Bangkao uh, low income communities and uh, the idea was that we know how to cook and we can cook and we had our patrons contribute a little bit each to be able to cook a biryani every single day for anybody who was in need and you could come knock our door and you can get food because as you know the pandemic hit the hospitality industry first which was shut down overnight and hundreds and thousands and now i would like to believe closely around half a million workers would have lost their jobs at least the hotels are still not open everybody has sh- shed their workforces uh diners in our restaurants are down by 50% because mondays tuesdays and wednesdays were always filled by singapore hong kong japan and the travelers coming in you're living in the city you do not go out with your wife on a on a monday night for dinner and uh, this is something that we do and now it's become a mission of what we do if you ask me in totality in what direction is my company the food by dk headed is to redefine the way food is being produced and consumed in thailand we are in we are on a very close to be starting a full scale future farm uh, in pakchong in uh, near khawai where we'll be working on something known as the circular economy we will be growing our own uh, poultry we'll be doing our own eggs we'll be doing our own dairy all of our dairy products we will be growing all of our produce not only just for myself i run restaurant hauma and my wife chandni gulrajani owns ministry of crab and the two restaurants that we have then a thick 100 people thick health food delivery service called nutri chef that caters to people with ailments with with cancer with diabetes we cook regenerative food for them to be growing produce for that all of this that i'm speaking about on blockchain technology so that you can track the seed till the time you put it in your mouth of what really went into it what was the nutrition the the god of transparency so that is the direction that my business my mission to be able to make it so transparent that you and me deserve to know what we are putting in our mouths and what we are putting in the mouths of our children and that is what i'm working for in the next 3 to 5 years So DK we are a youth empowerment and peer to peer support show absolutely and uh, some of our audience out there might be looking to become chefs absolutely now um I don't know so much about this industry but I know that when I pay a lot 
Yes. Like you said, it's Norwegian salmon, it's truffles. Yes. It, it's it's the way that the old cooks or chefs had thought about in terms of what what it takes to charge a customer $15 as opposed to $100. Correct. Right? Whether you get caviar yes. or you get something that, that that's exclusive. But that... I think that way of thinking is today changing. And a lot of us are going back to this ratatouille and a little bit of what we grew up with. And all like my kids, when we go and eat, we want to have a meal. We want to be satiated. We want to have a, we want to dig in. So these eight courses, 12 courses, where you get one bite of this Absolutely. tiny thing, it doesn't sort of fit our lifestyle. Yes. Where where have these young kids, how can you advise these young kids in terms of how they should follow their passions? Uh, you are absolutely right, Vimal. In the quest of uh, finding the exclusive to put onto your plate to charge you the dollar, uh, I think the industry went a little bit too far. And this especially happened with the with the advent of globalization in the early 2000s. However, what was exclusive 10 years ago is not exclusive anymore. Tell me, you don't have to go to the Mandarin Oriental only to get some caviar anymore. You can get it at any restaurant you walk into. You don't have to, to, to uh, earlier, Japanese omakase, getting the finest Japanese fish was, uh, was a luxury. Now there's 130 omakase restaurants in Bangkok. So it's not really a luxury anymore. And that is why I think the paradigm shift that you just spoke about, that your family needs to satiate itself, cuisine look should be looked at something that A, I eat because I want to fill my stomach. B, I eat because I want to nurture my body. I need the right vitamins. I need the right, right energy. And C, third, is the taste. A lot of times you eat something, it might not taste mind-blowing, but you don't write a comment on TripAdvisor. But now because you spent $150, you get, it becomes <laughs> personal. It right. becomes very personal. So that is what my advice to people who are looking to become chefs is to find first what is that they really want to cook. What is it? Uh, my Actually, I'm going to take that back. My first advice to anybody who's listening and wants to pursue a career in this is become a cook before you become a chef. Because if you just want to manage a kitchen, then just go to a management school. But if you really want to cook, and cooking is what nurtures your soul, then you need to be a cook and you need to start at the bottom. If you don't know how to peel onions and cut tomatoes, how are you going to make that ratatouille anyway? So you need to start at the bottom. Spend a couple of years learning the skill of the trade. And the reason why I say this, that apprentice programs, any big grand chef that you can think about today have all started at the bottom. And the reason why they are so successful is that they know what perseverance is. We are in the business of perseverance. Uh, hospitality from the outside looked very glamorous, but it took me 16 hours to put those eight courses on your plate. I'm sure. I'm sure it did. So it's, it's uh, and I would, I, I, you'd be surprised to know that it is this, after deep sea diving, it is the second most attrition oriented career in the world. Most people drop out of these programs after spending 6 million baht on culinary schools. So it is very important to be able to understand if you went to a fancy culinary school and you actually wanted to be a laborous chef, it does not coincide with each other. Because you spend 6 million baht already on education and your starting salary as an apprentice is going to be 25,000 baht, 20,000 baht. So it will take you it will take you at least 10 years to be able to to be get out of your debt. 
So if you really want to be a chef and you really, all of those youth who are listening out there and want to want to, want to really be successful chefs, they go out there and they come to kitchens like ours and spend a year to learn the tricks of the trade and they don't need to go to no culinary school and spend that money. They can spend that money on buying top quality equipment for themselves, top quality knife, great quality books that they can persevere and burn the midnight oil and study. And that's how you become a chef. You don't become a chef by going to Paris and studying in a fancy school. You mentioned earlier on in the show about your grandmother and your mother and the influences that you had at home. Yes. And I know in my house, uh, during prayer sessions, my mom makes a little bit of uh, 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 puri. Yes. And chola. Yes. And she makes something called a kara. Yes, correct. Right. And her kara is uh, generally full of sugar. Yes. And butter. Yes. She uses fresh butter. Yes. Or she uses the uh, 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 ghee called QBE, which comes from Australia. Okay. Right. And uh, the kids fight over it in the house, right? And uh, (laughs) so I wonder, ask my mother that it seems that she has a sort of a a reputation. Right. That the day this kara is done, there are people grabbing it. Neighbors come over, friends come over. Suddenly, all the neighbors become your friends and they want to come over. Right. And there must be something in this ingredient. Right. Because this this is something abnormal. People remember it. People 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, you know, I remember, I remember coming. Yeah. yeah, they said, you know, I came to your house and your mom had made kara. Yeah. And it was really nice. And and so I said to my mom, my mom, mom, you know, this dish that you made, right. it's, a, it's a trademark dish. What's in it? Right. And she always says love. That's correct. Right. So, so uh, we Indians, we sort of come there. We sort yes. of come from there. Right. Yes. What is it that what your grandmother taught you and what your mother taught you in terms of putting love and a little bit of faith? Let's That's face right. it. There's some faith in in this yes. also. You know, you you want to put in that love and you want to deliver to your customer or your guest. In many cases, your guest, maybe right. not your customer. You know, uh, you want to deliver something that they go home inspired. That's right. How does this work? Uh, I think everything. Uh, I'm 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 extremely spiritual and i really believe that everything that i do is driven by who i am the faith that i am in uh, the way i was brought up and uh, i'll give you, i'll start from a small example four years ago when i started haoma i i was 26 years old i put in every single piece of my earnings in that uh, uh, we are now where we are with no investors no debt no banks involved we have done this by ourselves every single day and when that's just me and my best friend deepak shetty who is uh, who is a Bangalorean uh, working at a financial organization here, and uh, and I took a major chunk of my my savings and I built that urban farm, Thailand's first urban farm, in the midst of Sukhumvit. And people looked at me and they were like, "What are you doing? Like this is forty more seats. Like you could just pack the restaurant with right, good PR anyway. Why are you burning the seats for nature? Like we don't do that anymore." And uh, I I shunned that. I kept working on it. But nothing would grow there because I am a chef. I'm not a botanist Correct. and I'm not a farmer. Right. And I had no experience of how to grow produce. So I called up my mom really. Uh, and we were just two months from opening now. The the garden, the, the urban farm had to be lush. The fish should have been prospering by now. So I called my mom and this was, say, around midnight in Thailand. So around 10.30, she was already tucked in bed. And 
and uh, I told her that nothing grows here. She told me to go to that urban farm and get down on my knees and pray to God and tell him <laughs> to let me grow. And so did I. And I did that. And today you come there or anybody who comes there is always surprised. Like I had Chef Theory from Chef's Table, Two Star Michelin, dining at our restaurant last week. And he came in and he just held my hand and said, I want to see your green fingers. How do you keep this place so green? Because I've been a chef 30 years in front, in, in 17 different countries in the world. I've never been able to uh, run, uh, run a farm like this or make it so green. And I, I just looked at him and I said, I, I can tell you how to do it the way my mom told me. <laughs> and I did tell him and both of us had a laugh about it. But laughs, laughs apart, I personally believe that every single element of the dish, every single time that I create something, every maybe it may, may it be a dish or planting a seed or not starting a farm or doing no one hungry, I am filled with gratitude from my believing that I am very fortunate to be where I am today. Hundreds and thousands of people will go up tonight without sleep. They will go tonight without, they'll probably be walking to find migration across Europe somewhere. There would be hundreds and thousands of people in our own country in India who will not find a single meal tonight, who will sleep probably without electricity. 70% of the population in Uttar Pradesh still does not have electricity. So I believe that I'm extremely fortunate and I might have done something great in my last life, that God chose me to live this great life this time and blessed me with the restaurant that I am today. And every single single thing that I do the food that I and as you as as you as you said in the beginning that I've I've found a, a place for my restaurant at the moment and there's nobody but God to thank and he empowered me with the hard work that I'm putting in and he empowered me with the thoughts the ideas and what are we doing we're doing a work of God we're trying to nurture the environment again this is what we're doing as as his own people and I I believe that's the direction we go in at Haoma and all my businesses Thank you so much, uh, DK, for being on the WTF today. I think you've sort of uh, summed up your career and your future really well. I think that we have a lot to learn from you, from somebody who has had a relatively simple childhood and come today to be a celebrity chef in Bangkok, Thailand. And I'm sure you will grow in leaps and bounds. Thank you, Emma. Um, we request you to do two things. Yes, please. One is kindly suggest the guest for our next show. Yes. And number two is we will have the WTF Awards at the end of the year. Right. For Youth of the Year. Right. So we ask you to nominate and vote. Right. For somebody aged 20 to 30. Right. Who adds positively to our community. Beautiful. I will absolutely do okay. that. Okay. So before we go... I want, I'm going to again give you a, 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 a white piece of paper. You say yes. whatever you want. I want you to try and address the people out there who um, are a little bit younger. Yes. And uh, maybe a little lost in terms of where they are during this pandemic times. Yes. A lot of them, let's face it, are unemployed. Right. Okay. And uh, number two is... Uh, before you go, I, I, I want to sort of, very rarely do I ask for something personal. Yes, absolutely. But please. I want to know what your favorite dish is. Right. And I want to know a little bit about the recipe and how it's 
Cool. Okay, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. First of all, uh, I know these, uh, a lot of people are taking it very personally, the pandemic. People are, uh, some people are unfortunate to be not be going to work at the moment or have, have lost their livelihoods. And I would like to say that this is a great, great, great opportunity God has brought, brought into our way to actually look inwards. Very rarely while living our lives of working, waking up at 6.30 in the morning, showering, hustling to work, finishing work, getting back home going for dinner, going to bed, we rarely, rarely ever look inside what's inside of us. And this is the opportunity where we are sitting and we could actually introspect to find what material are we really built of? What our real visions are? What our missions are? What is the direction that we are going? And pave the way. God has given us this time to strategize, to to sharpen our tools, perhaps, to be able to ready for better jobs in the future. And in case any of you out there are finding it really hard and you are unable to find yourself in a place uh, of comfort, you always have us. You can reach out to me. You can reach out to so Zamol. somebody, for example, um, uh, if I may, if somebody's looking for a job as a sous chef or, or something like that for just a year, short time, just a little bit of training. Absolutely. Can he reach out to you? Absolutely, Vimal. If somebody is looking for an apprenticeship, an internship, if the, and I'm not talking about free labor, I will pay for your work. I will find work for you. We, we are. You could come and cook for the homeless, perhaps. That's work. That's dignity. That's labor. That's labor intensive work. Cooking that food, giving out, and we have we have patrons providing us for that. We have a restaurant. We have a health food delivery service. We have another restaurant. If you're interested in working in seafood restaurant, Ministry of Crab, my wife's restaurant, we will find some work for you there but if you do not let this time take you down take this time down and prepare yourself for the future because the future is nothing but bright there's been a lot of adversities in 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 generations that have lived before us and there will be in generations after and this one we will embrace it with a smile Bimal. okay and your favorite dish sir my favorite dish okay so something that I, this is uh, uh, this is going to be a little bit uh, um, tough because you know you you can look at me right now and you know I eat a lot. <laughs> but uh, I really really love a nanza. Okay, so I am a pizza fan, crazy pizza fan, but I'm also a desi at heart. So I actually, you know, I'm so desi that I replaced my tomato sauce on a pizza with a makhani gravy. <laughs> there you go. So I, that is, if you if you ask me my personal food that I would, that I could eat every single day, I would ask my chef, my cook in the restaurant to make me a naan. And then I would put some chicken tikka on top, drizzle some makhani curry, put some cheese in it and bake it in the oven. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. That sounds so, so yeah. uh, fantastic. And then I take it out and instead of eating it with ketchup, yes, please pardon me, I eat my pizza with ketchup. I eat the nanza with some mint chutney on the side. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Can you say that again? Just one last time, say that again. How do you make it? Uh, take a naan bread, uh, put some makhani curry on top along with some pieces of chicken tikka, dress it with a little bit of cheese. With a little bit of cheese, I mean, you should not be able to see anything red on the bottom. <laughs> And then you you bake this baby at uh, at 200 degrees for eight minutes and comes out a beautiful nanza is what I like to call it. <laughs> uh, this was one of my most exciting and most enjoyable interviews.
uh, celebrity chef Dipankar Kosla at the WTF show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Imal. Thank you pleasure. so much. Please. It was. It was. I can feel the vibe in this, and I can smell the cumin leaves and the <laughs> thank and, you and, and, thank and the you. mustard leaves. So uh, thank you so much for coming on, and hope to see you soon. Absolutely, Imal. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. That's it from the WTF show. Vimal and the team from WTF show would like to thank all our sponsors. Tune in next week for another great gig with people making a difference to your future. For advertising spots, go to the WTF show IG page and get more info or contact Vimal at 6681-616-5987.